Hey everyone, I'm George Davis. Again, thanks for joining us for this online service of the Hershey Free Church. If you've got a Bible, I want you to join with me in turning to Romans chapter 14. We'll get there in a moment. But as you do that, I want to give you a date. The date is January 13th, 1964. And most likely that that date means nothing to you unless you were born on that date. Otherwise, it just seems like it was another day. And to some degree, it was kind of just another day. But that date could have been very different. As it turns out, that date could have been a deeply tragic date in our nation's history. And here's why I say that. On that date, a B-52 bomber carrying thermonuclear weapons experienced structural failure, and the pilot lost control such that the plane crashed in northern Maryland, only about 170 miles from here, here in Hershey. Now, together, uh, the nuclear payload on that plane had the destructive force a thousand times greater than the bomb that was dropped on Hiroshima, Japan. Imagine had those two bombs detonated on impact. Imagine what the outcome, the tragedy, could have been of that situation. But even though that entire plane crashed, those bombs did not explode, and they didn't explode because there were safeguards in place. Now, here's why I I mentioned that story. as, As we continue this series entitled, A United Church in a Divided World. I tell you that story because, you know, right now it feels like we really are in a cultural moment that is very divided, very polarized. We've talked about this a lot due to a number of factors. And, and with that division and polarization, it also seems like a lot of people are just on edge. You may have experienced this in conversations, online. You may have witnessed it in the lives of other people. The, the reality is it, it feels like for a lot of people it, it's easy to go nuclear on all sorts of issues. All you have to do is pay attention to a variety of video clips that go viral on social media, and you'll see people who are going nuclear on airplanes or in airports, in shopping malls, in incidents of road rage. So that, that's the climate that we're in right now. And in this series, what we're talking about is how do we as a church community, how do we as a church family really stay united in the midst of all this tension and division. And I think among other things, and this is what we're going to be talking about really over the next two weeks, among other things, we have to to learn well how to interact with one another because that, that tension, that division can take place within the church even as it takes place in other contexts. I mean, how do we, how do we handle well disagreements and dis- differences of opinion? And how can, how can we do that without going nuclear on one another? The truth is, over the last few months, I think some of you have felt heightened tension in your relationships with people here at church, people that you know, people you interact with online, people in your small group. For instance, maybe you have approached COVID mitigation differently than other people that you know, and it's created stress in your relationships. It's created division in your small group context. And and so how how do we work through these kinds of situations well? 
What type of safeguards do we need to put in place so that we don't go nuclear on every issue, every disagreement? Well, I think Romans 14 is a good place to start as we work through these questions. As I said, we're going to take two weeks to talk about how we engage each other well, and then we're going to take weeks three and four to talk about how we engage our broader community well. But as we think about how you and I can engage each other well, uh, even when we disagree, let's now come to Romans 14. And when we so here's how Roman four, Romans 14 begins. Paul writes, except the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not, and the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Now, when we get to this part of Romans, it becomes clear that uh, there's been tension, division in the church or among these house churches in Rome. And it's been it's been related to food. Now, realistically, this may not seem like a big deal uh, to us, but it was it was in this context. And as you read this section, it becomes clear that Paul identifies one group as the strong and another group he identifies as the weak. And most likely, the, most of the people who were part of the strong group were people who were from a Gentile background, and they had no problem about eating anything. The group that Paul designates as the weak were people who came from a Jewish background, and they had grown up with Jewish food laws, and, and I think particularly due to their background, they were more concerned about uh, eating non-kosher food. Likewise, they were probably more hesitant about eating potential food that may have been used in pagan sacrifices. Interestingly, this is also an issue that we see come up in 1 Corinthians. So we have these different groups within the church who are thinking differently about food. And then there's a political twist to all of this. And that starts with this guy. This is a statue of the Emperor Claudius. And in AD 49, Claudius expelled all of the Jews from Rome. So now imagine you're in this small church and, and all of a sudden, in essence, part of your church disappears. It's like the Avengers Affinity War, right? A, a, few, a few people disappear from the church. But then a few years later, Claudius dies and basically the edict fades away. And consequently, Jews return to the city. But I think as they do so, they return with uh, really diminished influence and status. So these people that have been part of the church, they are coming back into the church. They're coming back into their house churches, their house groups. And I think having been persecuted because of their Jewish heritage, they may have a, had a heightened sense that certain food restrictions were really ways to honor God and, and worship God. But others in the church didn't see the need for these food restrictions at all. And so this led to conflict. And I, undoubtedly, certain relationships were severed and people were no longer talking to one another, not even meeting together. So, so here's the situation, right? On, on one side, there are these people that Paul describes as the weak. And it's not so much the quality of their faith, but rather they're, they're more cautious, they're more conscientious, and their conscience is more easily disturbed. Likewise, there may have been an element of social status in, in his use of this term, because these were the people that came back to Rome as people more on the margins of society. 
And then on the other side are the strong people. You know what? They've got no concerns about diet. You know, it doesn't, God doesn't require us to make separations about food. And so they think, you know, these, these other people, they're just making much to do about nothing. And Paul implies that the strong, right? The strong are looking at the weak with contempt, right? You losers. Why are you guys so uptight? And the weak are looking at the strong with a sense of judgment, right? You liberals, why don't you take God seriously? And Paul says, look, it's got to stop. It's got to stop. You need to accept one another. Now, I think to understand what Paul is saying, it's, it's helpful to recognize that he's working with a particular framework. And it, it's a framework that I think prevents him from going nuclear in, in this situation. And to show you this framework, let's compare two of Paul's statements. Now, see if you, see if you pick up on the contrast between these two statements. First, this statement comes, from, statement comes from 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul is talking about the gospel, the good news of Jesus, what God has done through Jesus Christ. And he says, for what I received, I passed on to you as of, now notice this, as of first importance. Right? I mean, the, what he's about to say in terms of the gospel, this is absolutely non-negotiable. But then we get to Romans 14, and he says, you know what? You need to accept one another without quarreling. Now, notice this, over disputable matters. Now, notice what Paul is getting at here. He's saying, you know, there's some things that are of first importance, that are absolutely crucial, non-negotiable to who we are as followers of Christ. But there are other things that really are disputable matters, and by that he means there's room for us to disagree on these issues. We don't have to separate over these issues. Uh, you're gonna, we don't have to be on the same page on these issues. I, I think another way to frame this contrast would be this. Um, I think Paul's framework is, you know, some things are core beliefs. Other things are personal convictions. Now, frankly, I think it's actually possible to even subdivide these two categories further. But for our conversation, I think it's important to note that Paul is making a difference between certain things that really are core beliefs. They're non-negotiable to who we are as followers of Christ and other things that more accurately can be described as personal convictions. These are areas where we, we don't have to go nuclear even if we disagree. Of course, the natural question is, okay, but how do you tell the difference? How do you know what to put in each, each heading? How do you know what to put in each bucket? Well, I think particularly for Paul, in terms of core beliefs, for him, the core beliefs were things deeply rooted in the gospel, the storyline of what God is doing, themes that were clearly taught in Scripture. I think for us today, you know, in some ways a good place to start are the historic creeds of the church and, and maybe more specifically for us as a local church to, to pay attention to our statement of faith, right? These are our core doctrinal commitments. And, and, and when you read our statement of faith, I think it really does highlight the major themes in the biblical storyline, the major themes communicated in Scripture. We believe in one God, maker of all things, holy, infinite, and perfect. We, we believe that all people are created in the image of God, yet have sinned and can only be rescued through God's saving work. We believe that Christ is incarnate, fully God, fully human, that he died as our substitute and as our representative, and that his death is the all-sufficient sacrifice for our sins. 
We are believed that we're justified by God's grace through faith alone in Christ alone. We believe that the Bible is God's verbally inspired word to us. Therefore, uh, we need to believe all that it teaches, obey all that it commands, and trust all that it promises. And so these are some of the things that we highlight in our doctrinal statements, some of the things that are really central to our core beliefs as a church. However, other things fall into the category of personal convictions. I think sometimes this includes how we understand the details of our core beliefs. For instance, we believe that God created the world, but we we may disagree on the details of exactly how he did that. Likewise, I think we can can disagree on the details of, of what it looks like to live out our core beliefs. I mean, this was exactly what happens in Rome. I think both sides were claiming we're wanting to follow. God, we're wanting to live out the lordship of Jesus Christ, but they differed on the specifics of what that looked like. And that can be true today. For instance, I think we, we all recognize that for those of us who are parents, we have a responsibility as parents, and we see that rooted in Scripture. But exactly how do we live that out? It, it can look differently. We may end up with a different type of parenting style. What about how we approach certain parenting issues like school choice or extracurricular activities. We may not do it the same way. Or think about our roles as citizens. We recognize that we have a responsibility to do good to others, to be good members of our society, to live out our faith in that context. But we can disagree on exactly what that looks like. For instance, we can disagree on the specifics of certain matters of public policy. While we may recognize the value of human life and the importance of justice, we may differ on on the specifics of what it looks like to live that out in certain public policy issues like taxation or immigration or economic opportunity. We, We won't necessarily agree But in areas of personal conviction, we don't have to go nuclear every time there's a different disagreement. Paul says, accept one another. Don't let these be issues that separate you. Interestingly, he repeats that command, accept one another, in chapter 15, verse 7. So that that idea of accepting one another really brackets this entire conversation. Now, I'm sure, you know, at this point, so Paul, he makes this plea, you've got to accept one another. You've got to stop it. You're dividing over this food stuff, but you don't need to be doing that. You need to accept one another and just recognize you're not going to be on the same page. Now, I'm sure as this letter is being read in the Roman churches, there's some that are going, okay, I hear what you're saying, Paul, but in the heat of this moment, I don't agree with you. Why? Why should we take this seriously? Well, Paul continues, and I think he really answers that question. As you follow Paul's argument, he does a couple of things. First, he really reminds them of the lordship of Jesus Christ. I mean, he says, don't you realize that when you're judging another believer, you're judging someone who belongs to Jesus? That's not your role to play. They belong to God. And and really, in reminding the people of, of the lordship of Christ, I think he's also reminding them that we have a shared identity. For instance, in As you continue through Romans 14, here's what we read when we get to verse 6. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. 
And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. Now notice what he's, notice what he's saying here. He's saying, look, I know you disagree on this. I know some of you are choosing to abstain while others are kind of eating fully and you don't get why people choose to abstain. But in the midst of that, don't lose sight of the fact that all of you can do this as unto the Lord. All of you are kind of are under the authority of Christ and are seeking to honor him and do what he says. So don't lose sight of what you have in common. You have this shared identity, even though you disagree on this particular issue. And you know what? I, I think we've got to underscore what Paul is doing here. We've got to pay attention to this. Because when we disagree as followers of Christ, this is something that often happens. We lose sight of what we have in common. In the midst of our disagreement, we can lose sight of, of what we actually share as followers of Jesus. But not only, I think, does he remind them of their shared identity. Uh, he also reminds them of their shared mission. As you continue reading in chapter 14, you know, I think Paul understands that, that together we have become followers of Jesus. We've become part of God's rescue plan. And in that rescue plan, we are to be growing in Christ and encouraging one another to grow as followers of Jesus. And Paul doesn't want them to lose sight of that goal, doesn't want them to lose sight of the shared mission, the shared storyline of which they are a part. So you read a little farther in Romans 14. Here's what you read. If your brother or sister, if your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you're no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil. Now notice this. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Now notice what he's saying here. He's like, it's like, don't lose. I know you disagree, but he's saying, don't lose sight of the shared mission. Don't lose sight of the fact that all of us have been called into this kingdom of God. We've been called into mission. For us as a church, it's, it's a mission we describe as living with Jesus, loving like Jesus, and leading others to do the same. In the midst of your disagreement, in the midst of all the division and heated exchanges, don't lose sight of the fact you have a shared identity and you have a shared mission. All of this then builds to verse 19. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. <laughs> it's like Paul says, look, I know things have gotten heated. I know tensions are on the rise. I know some of you aren't talking to one another. I know that every time you've got people have making sarcastic remarks about those that disagree with them. But understand, you, you, don't, you don't have to go nuclear on this. I want you to accept one another. I want you to build bridges. I want you to work towards peace and mutual edification. Or I want you to work towards peace and building each other up, being for one another. Now, this was his challenge then, and I think it's his challenge to us, particularly as we seek to be a united church in a divided world. So, so how do we do this? How do we take Paul seriously when he says, look, I, 
on, on these matters that are matters of personal conviction. I want, you, I want you to accept one another. I want you to work towards peace. I want you to work towards building one another up. How do we take him seriously? Well, again, let me remind you, we're going to continue this, this topic next week and talk a little bit more about how we interact with each other well. But here are a couple of ways I think that we can begin to take Paul's guidance seriously. First of all, I need to understand that there's a difference between core beliefs and personal convictions. Again, I think it's helpful to to keep this in mind that we need to work with different categories. We need to recognize that some things are really non-negotiable to us as believers. Some things are absolutely foundational and other things... Other things, there's just there's room for disagreement, and we don't have to go nuclear on those matters of personal conviction. Now, again, at times we're going to disagree on what to put in each category. At times we're going to disagree on what to put in each bucket. But I think it's helpful um, in, in thinking through this to at least acknowledge there are different categories that we need to be working with. And I'll remind you again, I think a great place to start is to pay attention to our statement of faith as a church. If you've never read that, I encourage you to do so. If you are checking our church out and would just like to know more about who we are, what do they believe, I encourage you to read our statement of faith. Really, is that's kind of where we get started when we think about core beliefs. And uh, just to to let you know, you can find that uh, statement of faith online. Go to hfcinfo.com. Click on the About Us tab, and if you'll scroll down, you'll see a highlighted link to our statement of faith. So, I need to understand that there is a difference between core beliefs and personal convictions. Secondly, don't major on the minors or minor on the majors. Now, in reality, I think this was part of Paul's frustration with what was going on in Rome. On the one hand, he would say, you know what? You're, you're majoring on the minors. You, you've gotten all hung up on this issue that isn't foundational to who we are as followers of Christ. You're, you're, debating, you're debating this whole thing about food, and it's bringing division and separation in your house groups, in, in your church, and you are majoring on the ma- minors. Now notice this. I think when you do that, when you major on the minors, ultimately you will also end up minoring on the majors. Once again, that's what happens in, in Rome, right? I mean, they, get, they spend all this time focused on, okay, are you eating meat? Are you not eating meat? Are you eating that food? Are you not eating that food? And because they're focusing that much attention on a secondary issue, they've lost sight on the things that are really important. Among other things, they've lost sight of the fact that they have so much in common. They've lost sight of their shared identity as followers of Jesus. They've lost sight of the fact that they've been called into a common mission, the kingdom of God. So pay attention to this, um, because this is often what happens when we don't handle personal convictions well. This is what can happen when we go nuclear on those matters of personal conviction. We will end up majoring on the minors, And over time, we then lose sight of the majors. In a previous church situation, um, there was one particular issue, uh, individual who became focused on a piece of legislation that was introduced to Congress. And as it turns out, it was a piece of legislation that had no possibility of passing. 
But this was his focus, and he wanted his friends behind it. He wanted his church behind it. And when people didn't share his same passion, he started going after them. And in different ways, you might say he went nuclear, even to the point that certain church leaders really had to have a direct conversation with him. And I think the challenge was he he started to focus and major on the minors, and somehow in doing that, he lost sight of all that we had in common. He began minoring on the majors. He lost sight of the fact that, well, even though we may engage certain political issues differently, we're still in this together. We share a common mission and a common identity. So don't major on the minors, because when you do that over time, you will ultimately, I think, minor on the majors. Then next, use your convictions to build others up, not to tear them down. Even when I disagree with you, am I still for you? Can I listen to you and really hear you? Can I have a conversation with you without judging you? See, I need to to be firm in my convictions, but I I need to hold them in a way that I can still build others up and, and not tear them down. I think uh, kind of to flesh this out just a little bit more, to do this well, I think it it means I have to surrender my need to be right. I have to surrender by my need to be right. I've got to be honest with you, sometimes in these kind of situations where I find myself disagreeing with someone in one of these areas, uh, someone's approaching things differently, I have to challenge myself. Why, Why do I need to be right in this? Why can't I just be for this person? Why do, why do I presume that I, I'm going to be able to, to always convince them on everything? So I, I have to surrender my need to be right. And I think closely related to that is I have to surrender the expectation that all of life is black and white. Now, let's be honest. I think some of us uh, really want all of life to be black and white. That's the way we, we approach it. But when, when you read this passage, I think it becomes clear the Apostle Paul doesn't have that expectation, right? Particularly in areas of personal conviction, he doesn't expect all of us to be on the same page. We're, we're not going to agree on everything. Now, this doesn't mean that these issues are, are merely secondary, that they're irrelevant. No, I think his expectation is this. I want you to be deeply rooted in the gospel. I want you to be shaped by the storyline of what God is doing in such a way. And then I want that reality to to kind of shape your approach so that you can have personal convictions about how to do certain things. I want you to be convinced in your own mind as to how to proceed in a way that honors God. But this means that life isn't always going to be black and white. In fact, one, one scholar described Romans 14 this way. It is black and white advice for the gray areas of life. And the truth is, for some of us, for some of you right now, the fact that for you everything has to be black and white is impeding your relationships with others. It may be impeding your relationships in your family, creating unnecessary separation and division. For some of you, your kids or your grandkids are saying, you know what, I love my parents, I love my grandparents, but I, I just can't talk to them about certain things. It always has to be their way. There's no room for conversation. They're unwilling to listen. By contrast, notice how Paul handles this situation. Remember, we've got these two groups, right? We've got the strong and the weak. Those who say, no, we've got to have food restrictions and that's how we're going to honor God. Those who say, no, you don't need to. You can eat anything and still honor God. 
And what is interesting is when it comes to this division, even though Paul says we need to accept one another, Paul clearly aligns with the strong. In fact, in chapter 15, verse 1, he says, for we who are strong, he clearly identifies with one side of this debate. But he doesn't identify himself to belittle or berate the other side. He doesn't identify himself to say, look, I'm going to convince you and you better fall in line with me. He identifies himself to say, we need to be for one another. We need to follow the example of Jesus Christ in being self-giving for the sake of others. So Paul says, look, you don't, you don't have to go nuclear on every issue. Every issue doesn't have to be the end of the relationship. We're in this together. So even when we disagree, let's remember what we have in common. Let's work for peace and let's work for being for one another. Now with that in mind, I, I want to pray for you. And even as we go to prayer, let me ask you this question. Is, is there some relationship, particularly a relationship in, in our church where you have felt this kind of intensified division and tension over the last year? And if that's the case, would you just acknowledge right now that, you know what, even in this relationship, I don't, I don't have to go nuclear. Even in this relationship, I need to remember I need to remember what we have in common, even when we disagree on certain other things. So with that in mind, let me pray for us and for you. Gracious God, as we've acknowledged, we live in a very um, divided and polarized moment. And with that, there's division and tension. And we even experience that in church relationships. We've experienced that here at Hershey Free. And yet what Paul shows us is we, we don't have to go nuclear on every issue. What Paul shows us is that while we remain firm in our core beliefs, there can be places of personal conviction where we need to make room for others and recognize that we aren't on the same page. And even as we do that, uh, we need to do it in such a way that we accept one another and not lose sight of what we have in common. So, Father, I pray particularly for those who have experienced that kind of tension. I pray that the message of Romans 14 could, could, could begin to kind of help people think through and process some of these situations so that we, we can really work toward peace and work towards being for one another. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So just remember again, we, we don't have to go nuclear on everything. We can accept one another and work for peace, and work towards being for one another. And we can do that through the work of the gospel. Amen.